0: Hopefully everybody had a great spring break as we begin a new week. Well, this past week I think I've heard more about Jonah and the book of Jonah than I have in quite a long time. I don't know if you've been watching the news, but there was a story in the news about a man who was almost swallowed by a well. Did you guys hear about that story? It's an amazing story, and as a result of that, many of the uh, the news stations and papers and things like that have been talking about what took place. It's a story of a man by the name of uh, Rainer, and there he is there, and I don't know if you can see him. He's mostly swallowed up by this well in South Africa, and he's uh, a tour guide, and he was in the water one day, and he said, all of a sudden, it went dark, and then he said he began to feel some pressure on his hips, and he knew he was in the mouth of a well, And he said there was no time for him to fear. Instincts kicked in, and he held his breath because he knew that that fish was getting ready to take him down into the water. And yet, thankfully, when that well began to dive, he let him go. And thankfully, he didn't have any broken ribs or any broken hips or any broken bones for that matter. And it's just amazing because so many people have been talking about Jonah And the great fish in the book of Jonah. If you have your Bible, open it up, please, to the book of Jonah. There's been a lot of comparisons with this story and the story of Jonah. And unlike this man in South Africa, Jonah was swallowed by, as the Bible says, a great fish. And as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, a sea monster. And unlike this man, he was in the belly of that great fish for three days and for 3 nights. But I often wonder how much do people really know about the book of Jonah? People know about this story and many times people believe that this story is nothing more than fiction or fairy tale or some kind of legend, but we know better than that. We know that this story with with Jonah, what happened to him? It really is true. You, don't, you can stay in the book of Jonah. I just want to read to you real quickly in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus spoke about what happened with Jonah. In Matthew chapter 12, he said, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the, of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus believed in the story of Jonah and that great sea monster in the Old Testament. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about the story of Jonah. It's an amazing book. It's a short book, and it reads a little bit different than some of the other prophets. And I want to just begin by giving you guys some details about this book and about Jonah. Uh, We know that Jonah prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II to Israel. We know that he was appointed by God to go to Assyria, that he was to preach a message of repentance, as we just saw. And we know that decades later, Assyria would eventually take the northern kingdom into captivity. Now, there's one other passage, if I'm correct, in the Old Testament that gives us some additional details about Jonah, and that's found in 2 Kings chapter. Fourteen. I just want to read this to you here real quickly in 2 Kings chapter 14, beginning in verse number 23. In 2 Kings 14 and verse 23, the Bible says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned forty-one years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin." He restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was of Gath Hepher. And so we get some more details, uh, just a little bit of it, more information concerning this prophet named Jonah. When you read the book of Jonah, we know that it reads totally different. His message is really short, and we have a lot of fun sometimes with that message, right? He preached a sermon about eight words, and how great would it be if sermons were only about eight words today? And yet we know that he had great impact upon the people that he was preaching to. And we have some other things that we need to think about when you really look at the book of Jonah the word great is found numerous times in this book. If you read just the first chapter, you'll see how the word great is found numerous times. Uh, Jonah would describe the, how great uh, Nineveh was. And we're going to see how great this wind and the sea was when, uh, when Jonah begins to escape. And while we look at these things that are great in nature, I think when we look at the book of Jonah, it reminds us about our great God. And how great he really is, and how loving and compassionate he really is. And so I believe when we look at the book of Jonah, we're going to see some great things about God. One of the things, too, that's interesting when you look at Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 1, is that Jonah was given some instructions about where he was to go. In Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says the words, let me get over to the book of Jonah here real quickly. I was getting ready to read from Amos. While those words are good, that's not what we're talking about. Here we are. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You can read that, but it really is powerful to see just how far Jonah was willing to go and was trying to go by and not to do the will of God not to do the work of God and this map really helps us to see some things with respect to that and the mindset that Jonah had and so when you look at what Jonah wanted to do and what God ultimately wanted him to do there's some great things that we can learn about God and with the rest of our time I want us to consider what does Jonah teach us about God I'm sure you've read this book before And if you haven't read it, I'm sure you've heard some things about it in Bible class. What stands out to you when you think about God in the book of Jonah? I want to give you three thoughts to to help you out and help all of us out as we think about our great Father in heaven. The first thing that stands out to me when I read the book of Jonah, and as we read the book of Jonah, is number one, that all men are accountable to God. You think about who Jonah was being sent to. Jonah was being sent to Nineveh. The capital, the, capital, the capital of Assyria. And while these individuals were not Israelites, they still were accountable to God. All men are accountable to God. And God saw their wickedness, He saw their sin, and He wanted them to repent of their sin. And that's what we find. Look in Jonah chapter 3. And I want to just read the entire chapter, it's only 10 verses. In Jonah chapter 3, and verse number 1, The Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days' walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing, and do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And I, wanna just, I wanted just to read that because it's a reminder that, that God saw the sins of Nineveh. He saw their wickedness, and what he demanded from them was that they must repent. And when you really think about it, from the beginning of time, all men have been accountable to God. In the beginning with Adam and Eve, they were accountable to God. Gave, God gave them instructions about what they were to do and what, not, and what they were not to do. And all throughout history, men have been accountable to God. Sometimes there's some confusion with respect to the Israelites and those who were not Israelites in the Old Testament. Were these individuals no longer or not accountable to God? Did God just simply ignore their actions? Well, the answer to that is no. The book of Jonah, I think, is a great example that we see that all men are accountable to God. And when you think about the sinful behavior of those in Nineveh, initially when they heard the message of Jonah, they repented of their sins. And yet there's another part to the story. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? There's another element to this story. There's another minor prophet that gives us, as you can say, maybe the rest of the story. Because about 100 years later, after Jonah had preached to them and they had repented of their sins, we see that they continued on with their sinful behavior. And as a result of that, they would be punished by God. I want you to turn over to the small book in the Old Testament called Nahum. The book of Nahum gives us really the rest of the story. While these individuals in the days of Jonah repented, a couple of generations later we see that again they were engaged in their wicked behavior. God saw that. They were still accountable to God. And as a result, God said, judgment is coming your way. In Nahum chapter 1, in verse number 1, and we can't read all of this, but in verse 1 it says, the oracle of Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by means leave the guilty unpunished. Judgment was going to come upon them. They were still accountable to God. Later on in Nahum, look at chapter 2 and look at verse number 8. Nahum chapter 2 and verse number 8. The Bible says though Nineveh was like a pool of water throughout her days, now they are fleeing. Stop, stop, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold, for there is no limit to the treasure, wealth from every kind of desirable object. She is empty. Yes, she is desolate and waste. Judgment was going to come upon them. Look at chapter 3 and verse number 1. Woe to the bloody city, completely full of lies and pillage. Her prey never departs. The nose of the whip, the nose of the rattling of the wheel, galloping horses and bounding chariots, horsemen charging, swords flashing, spears gleaming. Look at verse 4. All because of the many hollow trees of the harlot, the charming one, the mistress of sorceries who sells nations by her harlotries and families by her sorceries. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will lift up your skirts over your face and show to the nations your nakedness and to the kingdoms your disgrace. I will throw filth on you and make you vow and set you up as a spectacle. And it will come about all that all who see you will shrink from you and say, Nineveh is devastated, who will grieve for her Where? Will I seek comforters for her? All men have been accountable to God, and that included these Gentile nations. And we see that while they initially repented, which is a great thing with the preaching of of Jonah, that in the process of time they would not listen and do what it was that God desired for them to do. And so we learn something about our Father in heaven that all men are accountable to Him. And the book of Jonah may be one of the best examples of this. And the book of Jonah may also be one of the best examples of something else as we think about our our Father in heaven and who he is, and and that is this, that, that God loves all men. The second point I want you to see is that God loves all men. Go ahead and click that slide for me, please. The story of Jonah reminds us just how good our Father in heaven really is. And when you really think about the story of Jonah, I was talking to Nikki and Josh about this last night. Jonah was so open with with God and the way that he talked to God. And I know sometimes when I read the book of Jonah, you know, it's almost on the border of, was he being disrespectful to God? I mean, he's just being, he's just pouring everything out, with the things that he's saying. And yet what we are going to see here when you read the book of Jonah is that our Father in heaven really does love all men. Sometimes people may have this view that God is some some wicked God, uh, that maybe he's just some monster in heaven. He doesn't really care about people. That can't be true. That's not true. And the book of Jonah helps us to see this. Again, we're not going to read the passages, but you go back to the beginning. God loved all men in the beginning. He gave them everything. He gave them perfection. He gave them the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And even in the days of Noah, we talked about that last week, he still loved men. They were wicked, and they were violent in nature. And yet he was still going to give them an opportunity to be saved. God, from the very beginning, has always demonstrated love and has cared for all men. And the book of Jonah really emphasizes this point. When you go and do some uh, studying on your own and look at the nation of Assyria, they were some of the most wicked and cruel individuals in a nation uh, that you could ever read about. And this is going to be part of the challenge that Jonah had when he was told to go to Nineveh. Why is it that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? God told him, this is what I want you to do. You go to Nineveh. He's a prophet. Why is it that he he did not want to go to Nineveh? And when you think about the story of Nineveh, or the story of Jonah and, and and Nineveh, we see that they listened to his preaching. That's what every preacher wants. Every preacher wants to preach a message And people actually listen and repent. And yet what we find when you get to Jonah chapter 4, look at verse number 1. We just read Jonah chapter 3. These individuals, they repented. They said, who knows, God may may turn and relent and withdraw his anger, burn in anger so that we will not perish. And that's exactly what he did. But look at chapter 4 and verse number 1. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. I don't know how many other examples we have in the Bible of of prophets or preachers who have this mentality after someone has repented that now they're angry and they're upset. And he's angry at God. Why is he so upset? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. Number one, Jonah knew about this Gentile nation. And secondly, he knew certainly about their wicked behavior. And it's gonna be a few decades later that Assyria is going to take the northern kingdom into captivity. And yet God said, I want you to go there, and I want you to preach a message to them, a message of repentance. We see why I think Jonah was so upset. He said in verse number 2, he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious, gracious, And compassionate God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. God, I know how good you really are. And I know that even though these people are so wicked, and even though I feel like they don't deserve it, if they are willing to listen to you, I know that you're so good and loving and compassionate that you will give them a second chance. And that's exactly what happened. Jonah knew about the love of God. He knew about the compassion of God. And it's one of the great stories that teaches us something very important about our Father in heaven, that our God in heaven is not some monster as atheists and agnostics sometimes try to depict him to be. He's a God full of compassion and love and grace and mercy, and even towards those who certainly do not deserve it. And when you really think about it, the attitude that Jonah had was ugly and wicked and sinful too. And yet we're going to see that God still loves him. And that God is going to give him another chance. And that's because of who God is. That God is loving and gracious in nature. And this is one of the big points, I think, for us to take away. We know passages like John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And yet, all through the Bible, we know the love of God. We can see God's love. And maybe something good for us to think about as we read the story of Jonah is this. Are we trying to follow in the footsteps of our Heavenly Father? You think about what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and in Matthew chapter 5 with how we are to love one another and how we are to love those, even those who hate us. That's because our Father in heaven, he is love. God is love, 1 John chapter 4. Are we striving to have that same kind of mindset? Our Savior Jesus died for the entire world. Do we strive to have the same mindset of where we strive to love one another? Not just one another, but but all men. Do we demonstrate love and compassion towards others as we are called to? You look around our world, we live in a very hateful world. People hate one another. People have biases towards one another. People sometimes hate others because of their skin color or because of where they are from. People have hatred and bitterness because of... Of a political party that somebody may be a part of, or because somebody may have some different worldviews. And while I do not agree with what the atheist may teach and proclaim, or what the agnostic may teach and proclaim, we're still called to love one another. We're called to love all men. And God is the perfect example. This story of God with Jonah and the Ninevites is a great example for us to demonstrate or to be reminded of his great love and the fact that we too are to love all men. Jonah was angry and displeased that God gave these individuals a second chance. How dare Jonah have that attitude? Who was Jonah? Who was a prophet of God, and yet he's trying to be the standard. And we've got to make sure that, that we understand that God loves everybody. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 12, one of the most powerful passages, I guess all I need to stop saying that all of the passages in the Bible are powerful, and all the sayings of Jesus are powerful. Uh, but one that really stands out to me in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. In Matthew 7 and verse 12, Jesus said, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. We're reminded even by our Savior that we treat others the right way and ultimately that we love others. God not only gave Nineveh a second chance, he gave Jonah a second chance. And again, when I said Jonah, the way that he communicated with God you know, at times when I read this, it almost seems it seems disrespectful, and yet th- they're having this conversation. He's angry, he's displeased, and then back in Jonah chapter four and verse number three, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Now he's telling God, just just take, just kill me. This isn't worth it. All because God was loving and compassionate towards other individuals. Uh, God will go on to say, "Do you have good reason?" To, to be angry. Then Jonah went out from the city in verse 5 and sat east of it. And there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? The great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between the right hand and left, the right and left hand, as well as many animals. He had to really drive that point home, and it's a great point for us to remember that God loves all men, and we need to make sure that we love all men too. We need to make sure that we have the right mindset. And finally, when you look at the story of Jonah, it teaches us something else about God, and that is ultimately that God's work is to be done. God's work is to be done. Jonah tried his best to run away from doing the work of God, from doing the will of God. And God said, no, my work is still going to be done, Jonah. I want to get your attention in some shape or fashion somehow. You're going to do my work. And he spoke to him the first time. And eventually the second time, by the time we get to Jonah chapter 3, and I wonder how long it took for Jonah to actually get to his original destination. But by the time he got there, he did the work of God. And a preacher has said this, I was listening to um, someone preaching, and they had mentioned they were going over the book of Jonah, and the point has really stuck with me, and I want to conclude with this point. When you really think about the book of Jonah, there's four chapters, but it should really be a short book. It should really be a short book, right? If Jonah simply did what God wanted him to do and get out of the way, what could we take away from this book? The book would read like this in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And then you would take, get rid of all of chapter 1, the rest of chapter 1, the rest of chapter 2, and you go to chapter 3, and you would just have verses 2 through 10. And that would be the book. The book would be really short. If, no, if Jonah simply got out of his own way and did what God wanted him to do. There's something here for us. Jonah had his own plans. Jonah had his mind made up. and Jonah had his biases and the, the way that he thought things should be and the way that God's justice should have worked. And yet God said, Jonah, this is what I need for you to do. God's work is to be done. And he tried his best to run away from it, and it did not work. And brothers and sisters, our Father in Heaven still knows what he is doing. And the point I want to get across here is that God's work still needs to be done. We have work to do as his people. And what I mean by that is that we need to share the gospel. And like Jonah, we can make God's work harder than it really needs to be. Evangelism is not rocket science. We all can do it. The question is, are we going to do it? We can help other individuals come to know the truth about our Father in heaven and Jesus Christ. You know, one of the interesting things about the book of Jonah is that when Jonah got on that boat, by the time he jumped into the water, there were those on that boat who now believed in the true and living God. They saw and recognized some things about God, even though Jonah was being disobedient. It's a powerful thing that even these individuals would come to learn some things. God's work is to be done. And like Jonah, we can sometimes run away from his work, try to do things so we can avoid doing his work. And sometimes we can make his work harder because we don't have enough trust, because we fear. And even worse, because we have biases as we look at others around us in the world. My friends, these things cannot be. Our job is to do the work of God. And this is what Jonah certainly teaches about our Father in heaven, that his work needs to be done. And therefore, we need to do it. We have some opportunities with the gospel meeting coming up to invite individuals to hear the truth about Jesus, to, 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 to learn more about our Father in heaven. And we have opportunities when you really think about it every day, whether it's in our own household or whether it's in our families or in our neighborhoods or our, our workplace, where we can do the work of God and talk to people or plant a seed or pray that doors of opportunity may be opened. The point is very clear. Let's not run away from doing the work of God. Jonah tried to do that, and it didn't work out. God's work must be done. There's more that we could say about this story from Jonah and the great fish. What I want to conclude is with this. The story of Jonah is not a fictional story. It is true. Do you believe that? It really did happen. And let's make sure that we focus and remember who our Heavenly Father is, that he loves all people, that all men, including us, are accountable to him, and we have great work to do for him. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for this new day. We are thankful for your love, for your compassion, for your kindness. We're thankful that you give nations like Assyria, you gave them a second chance. And we're thankful that you gave men like Jonah a second chance. And we're thankful that you continue to give us opportunities to do your will, to repent, and to continue to move forward so that one day we can be with you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we will examine our hearts and help us to always trust in you and to know that in all things you do, that you are good. Continue, Father, to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.